to the Bodybuilding Dietitians Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today for what is now episode 135. And as always, you are joined by your hosts, Tiara and Jack. Now we do have a Q&A episode for you once again. So Jack, I'm going to hit you up with this first question. It says, what are your thoughts on no sugar foods slash low calorie sweets, sauces, and cakes? Cool. So I think artificial sweeteners have been a bit a big debate in the health and fitness community mm-hmm. for probably ever since they originated because I think naturally something that sounds a little too good to be true, like it's sweet, it helps sweeten things uh, to make them taste better. Surely there has to be a negative correlated with that. Mm-hmm. And so far, there just, there isn't. And I think there's a lot of discussion about, okay, do artificial sweeteners still spike your insulin do they spike your blood glucose Mm -hmm. will Uh, they negatively change your gut microbiome mm. and another big one as well is like just those eating cues and appetite regulation like if you eat artificial sweeteners does it encourage more eating Mm -hmm. overall because you're still stimulating your like palate by having sweet Mm. foods and it's probably the word artificial as Mm. well that really gets to people like it's artificial it's not natural so that Mm. therefore you shouldn't be putting it into your body well guys it's 2021 and we're putting a hell of a lot of things that aren't necessarily natural for the body in our body Mm. and sometimes that can actually enhance people's quality of life Mm. I guess this isn't necessarily nutrition related, but I can certainly think in terms of a lot of surgeries, mm. you know, people with cardiac issues, they get pacemakers put in people, people with have laser eye surgery. It's, it's incredible. Mm. Uh, think about people who are getting hip surgery. Mm. I know that my dad has an artificial hip and it's changed his life for the better. Yeah. I mean, you're kind of stretching things a bit there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, like back to those, uh, like artificially sweetened foods. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also important to distinguish first in that there is a difference between artificial sweeteners and sugar alcohols. Like mm. these are the top two artificially sweetened things that are in our food, but there is a difference. Yeah. So basically sweeteners can be categorized as nutritive and non-nutritive. Mm-hmm. And essentially sugar alcohols are nutritive, which means they contain energy. Mm-hmm. Non-nutritive means there's no energy associated. They're calorie free. So sugar alcohols essentially they have partial calories so they're not quite four calories per gram which is what carbohydrates are i believe they're around two so Mm. sugar alcohols are like a partially fermented carbohydrate Mm -hmm. and they have some hydroxyl groups on them anyone who's undergone chemistry would know what those are Mm. those little oh and it makes sense because it's a hydroxyl and then anything with those groups on it, it ends in all. So mm. when we're talking about sugar alcohols, and again, alcohol, ethanol, <laughs> ethanol. Uh, anyway, these things would be things like mannitol and sorbitol and xylitol. So mm. if you read the back of a nutrition label and it says those things, like for example, a protein bar or some sugar-free gum, it usually has sugar alcohols in it. However, on the other end, we've got artificial sweeteners. So these things are non-nutritive. They don't contain any calories. And these would be things like your saccharin and your stevia. Well, I guess some people try and categorize stevia as like a natural sweetener, Mm -hmm. a natural artificial sweetener. But I think 
like just google what a stevia actually is it's like this green leaf they're so like, like it's a plant <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> i mean it's gone under a hell of a lot of processing that's for sure so i think the more natural stevia if you actually got that one it's not very sweet mm. and the powder is actually green mm. so yeah the stuff that you're getting in that really finely powdered white form yeah it's pretty highly processed but yeah. hell doesn't have any calories and it's pretty sweet mm. So, so far there just hasn't been that much of a link between any uh, negative effects of, from these, like mm -hmm. physiologically. And like, I kind of have a, a running joke with my uh, parents who they, they're still trying to persuade us both that <laughs> there's some negative effects like associated with the gut microbiome and with eating behaviors and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just keep telling them, just email me through the PubMed article, mm -hmm. bro. And they don't. <laughs> <laughs> and the PubMed article that was conducted on human beings, not mm. rats. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I, I understand their logic, of course. And we've had your dad on the podcast. He's mm. a phenomenal, brilliant man. Dr. Graham Radford Smith. He's one of the top gastroenterologists in this country. But logically, it makes sense. Because again, if you are consuming high amounts of artificial things in your diet, you would assume that that might have some negative connotations on your gut microbiome mm. and potentially on your health. But unfortunately, there's just, just say, not evidence yeah. to back that up. Let's just say in the future, I would not be surprised mm. if there is some mm -hmm. evidence favoring disruption to the microbiome. Because like, to be honest, we know so little still about the microbiome that even if we did find an association, like we... We might not know if it's mm -hmm. favorable or unfavorable yeah. yet. So. And that's also why it's really good to point that out too. And I, Nina, who's naturally Nina on Instagram, uh, she actually wrote a really good post on this recently. But when people make the claim that it changes the gut microbiome, mm. like a change doesn't always have to be viewed in a negative light. Mm. A change to the gut microbiome could be a positive change. It could be a negative change or it could be a change, but it's still semi-neutral. Mm. sort of thing so it's not always a bad thing but anyway it logically makes sense but unfortunately there's just not an evidence base there to say that yes consuming artificially sweetened foods in moderation will negatively impact your health mm. yeah and i think the only other point physiologically to raise about sugar alcohols in particular is that i think it's fairly common knowledge now that they can provide some gastrointestinal upset mm. Uh, especially consumed in high quantities. So yeah. like for us Australians, like the big one is going to be like the Queen's maple syrup. And yeah, just look on the back of your of your packet for anything that has sweeteners in it. If it ends in OL, like malitol, mm. sorbitol, xylitol, mm -hmm. uh, the big one is also sugar-free gum. Where That's why on the back of most uh, gum packets, it says eating too much like might cause laxative effects or yeah. something, uh, because of the sugar alcohols yeah take caution for sure mm. <laughs> but i that's that's a good point because they are partially fermented carbohydrates so they do have around two calories per gram compared to standard carbohydrates let's say one gram of table sugar that would have around four calories so it's about half the energy density but it still does have energy in them in these sugar alcohols compared to artificial sweeteners. But because they're partially fermented, they're not absorbed as energy through the small intestine, but they pass into the large intestine. And that's where they're actually fermented by our gut bacteria. And that's where we can actually harvest some energy from those sugar alcohols. But 
again, if everyone has a different limit to them, we mm-hmm. know some people who can consume these things, they could, they could drink Queens maple syrup till the cows come home. All right. They could probably drink it equal to the amount of water that they drink in a day. They might be fine, but other people, you know, they have a little drizzle of that stuff on their oats and they just blow up. So we know that it's really comes down to the individual knowing your limits, but just being aware that it, it is quite common, especially if you're consuming these things toward the higher end and very frequently, that you can have some gastric upset. Mm. Yeah, certainly. And because technically the question is asking quite broadly, what is our opinion on mm. them? And I think we've just automatically focused on sugar alcohols and artificial sweeteners. But like, what is our opinion on eating them? Like personally, I don't really see an issue with eating them mm. at all. I would just ask like, for what purpose are you eating them for? Like, is it because you don't want to have the real thing? Mm-hmm. Is it because you're worried about the excess sugar and, and fat from the real versions? Is it because you just like the taste still of these reduced sugar options mm-hmm. or sweetened options? I think it's important to kind of dig a little deeper with yourself as to, to why that might be the case. Yeah, and the reason why these things are out there is because they are more calorie friendly alternatives to their more original counterparts so Mm. for example sugar-free queen's maple syrup will have less calories per tablespoon or per serving compared to your standard canadian maple syrup Mm. but that's why i think that people consume these things of course because it's just it's less energy dense so they can kind of get the best of both worlds they can still enjoy one of their favorite foods Mm. but without all the calories But at the same time, people sometimes do push the boundaries a little Mm. bit. Like if normally you might just have like 10 milliliters of the real stuff, like I'm used, we're using the Queens free maple syrup, but there's (laughs) obviously a lot of different examples. But let's say that you were to have a bowl of oatmeal and you were to normally just drizzle maybe 10 or 15 milliliters of standard maple syrup on there. And that would satiate you. But then because you have the Queens free maple syrup option, which has less calories in it, you might double or triple your portion size. You might up that to 30 or 45 milliliters, you know, Mm. really, really drown it in there. And this is one, just make sure if you're using these things, you're definitely using the correct entry on MyFitnessPal or wherever you're tracking them, if you are tracking your intake. Yeah, because they will list it as zero carbs often Mm -hmm. for these products when in fact, like, Technically, it does contain a form of carbohydrate, which is sugar alcohol. Mm-hmm. So uh, that would be net carbs, not... It's important to distinguish, distinguish the difference. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I don't have too much else to add. Like I'm a bit of a realist with nutrition, just like everything else. I, Unless it's causing an issue like physiologically or psychologically that you're consuming these sorts of foods, I don't see a big deal. So mm-hmm. for example, if uh, kind of a red flag for me would be if... If someone's on an absolutely insane amount of food, like let's say for, okay, this isn't an insane amount, but let's say like a very comfortable amount of food of 3,500 calories plus, like if you're drowning everything still in queen sugar-free maple syrup, if you're having all those lower, like, I don't know, halo top ice cream still, like, why are you doing that? Like mm. this, uh, you should feel more than satiated through the food choices you're currently making without having to do that. You should be able to have the real option. It does make sense in a, in a dieting, sense or calorie restriction sense to to have those more calorie friendly options but sometimes but even then you could beg the question that when you're in a dieting scenario for example in the depths of prep and you've been chronically dieted for a few months you should probably be trying to make foods 
as least palatable mm. as possible. You shouldn't be trying to make these super delicious concoctions because that's just going to make you even more food focused and want food even more. So yeah. perhaps you should actually lay off these things even in a dieting phase so that you can actually be more satiated from your food. Mm. Hey guys, just a reminder that we don't just coach physique athletes, but we do coach anyone with a health and fitness related goal. Therefore, if you are interested in getting in touch with us regarding our coaching services, you can always head over to our website at www.thebodybuildingdietitians.com or alternatively, click the link in the show notes below. There's a, and that's why nutrition is such a beast mm. because, and I mean beast is in complicated. Nah, it's a beast. Because <laughs> <laughs> like there's just so many uh, multifactorials. Mm -hmm based on who you are, what you're doing, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, But I like the point that you made that like, if you are eating a comfortable amount of food, you're at energy maintenance or an energy surplus, don't necessarily let these sort of things hold you back per mm. se. Usually it's just out of habit. Of mm. course, it's like, oh, well, I'm just used to always putting my sugar-free maple syrup or my sugar-free barbecue sauce or something on my mm. food. But then if you're getting to a point where like food intake is getting higher and higher and higher and you're almost starting to feel uncomfortable with the volume of food that you're eating, you're like, well, why don't I get more bang for my buck? Why don't I drizzle some honey on my oats or some Canadian maple syrup on my oats or something mm. like that? Maple syrup is actually a good option because it's low FODMAP mm. compared to honey, which is higher in fructose. <laughs> but yeah, that just makes me laugh because I just keep thinking back to the tracking, right? Like if you are consuming this stuff, put the two and two together because pretty sure Queen's maple syrup, it's pretty sneaky. The actual barcode, if you scan it, it will come up as zero carb. Yeah, it will contain the calories, yeah. but not the carbs. Yeah. But on my fitness pal, people track, well, we advocate for tracking mm. macros, not calories. But so. then this is where you have to be like, oh, but if it says 17 calories, but zero carb, where are those calories mm. coming from? It's probably does have four grams of carbohydrates. But yeah. one of my clients, <laughs> there was a point of where she actually wasn't eating honey because she scanned the barcode for honey one time. It came up that some serving of honey had like 20 grams of fiber <laughs> in it. Like what? And then she questioned, she was like, yeah, like, is it true that honey's high in fiber? And I'm like, no, what? Like, nutrition labels can be so misleading and inaccurate so double triple check for mm. sure but definitely just take it into account these because these things still do have energy mm. Mm. most certainly cool what's the next question okay this one it says what are your thoughts on doing an exercise for example leg press dumbbell deadlifts or a hack squat more than once a week great well i thought i wouldn't use this saying today but it does depend. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I feel like we say something now, I feel like our own memes, our own reels. <laughs> mm. There's times when I'm just literally walking around for a good like five minutes, Mount Gravatt, looking for a 2.5 kilogram plate. <laughs> and I'm just like, gosh, I feel like my own Instagram reel right now. <laughs> mm. So it, it does depend. And <laughs> for example, like I would want to know the reason why someone is, is doing that twice a week. So mm -hmm. For example, like if they are at home training, then doing an effective exercise more than once a week totally makes sense. Like maybe even three times a week mm. if, if you're training lower three times or upper three times. For example, like in the gym environment, the reason why I might program something twice a week is, for example, in the tail end of a comp prep when they're 
exercise selection is a bit more limited due to like the stimulus to fatigue ratio. So we might implement like a hack squat twice a week on both leg days or even like a leg press twice a week on both mm. leg days, maybe varying up the rep ranges though. Uh, so they're slightly different. But most of the time, like if your your energy availability is high, you're feeling good and if you don't have wacky biomechanics, uh, then you should be able to have a diverse enough equipment selection and exercise selection to not have to do something twice a week. Like unless like you're doing more powerlifting or more strength specific training where like you actually get tangible neurological benefit from practicing a movement more than twice a week. Mm. So like, or twice a week. So like bench press or squat or deadlift, etc. Yeah. yeah, specificity would mm. really come into play there. And that goes the same for a lot of athletes. Yeah. Think about runners and swimmers. Like, what are you mm. gonna do today? I'm gonna go for another run. <laughs> yeah. Not much else, right? But that that's the beauty of bodybuilding is that, especially if you are training in a well-equipped gym, it does give you that opportunity to have more exercise variety, which definitely just keeps things interesting. It keeps things fun. But we have to think about for a lot of these movements, like it's a movement pattern. And if you are comparing like a leg press for versus a hack squat, the goal for both of those exercises is to pretty much maxly stimulate the quads. So perhaps if you were training legs twice a week, it might be nice to actually do leg press on one day and then do hack squat on the other day. Mm, yeah, it, that would totally make sense. And yeah. yeah, it just, as you, cause we can kind of tell it, it's gonna be based on a lot of different factors. Mm -hmm. But I personally think it's nice that even if you're performing the same movement pattern, like for example, even if you're performing the same hip hinge, like an RDL and you're doing that twice a week or even three times a week, it might be nice to do something like a dumbbell RDL one day, a barbell RDL the other day. You might do a B-stance RDL mm. one day, or you might do something like a weighted back extension mm. just to have a little bit more variety in there. Yeah. Yeah. I would always go on the side of variety. If you have the equipment, if you can do the movement well, mm -hmm. and you're in a favorable position mm -hmm. energy-wise, etc. So, But there are some exercises that you some people just genuinely get such a good stimulus from that you probably could do the same movement pattern, maybe the exact same movement, but like you alluded to at the beginning, maybe just changing up your rep range, maybe changing up your the number of sets that you perform, just manipulating in some way or another. And I think a really common one here would be a barbell hip thrust. Mm. A lot of girls who might be training legs like two or three times a week sort of thing, and they always have a primary glute movement on that day. If you don't have access to something like a hip thrust machine at your gym, generally barbell hip thrusts are the go. And if mm. you don't necessarily want to do a B stance variation, you could just do your standard barbell hip thrust variation. But for example, one day you might work in an eight to 10 rep range for three sets. The other day you might work in a 12 to 15 rep range for three or four sets. So you can have a bit of variety there and obviously manipulating the weights too. Mm. No hip thrusting on the leg curl? <laughs> no, not, <laughs> especially not if your gym has a really good quality hip thrust machine. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, I've never tried that myself and I don't think I'll ever mm. try it. Well, I think we've spoken about this before. I tried it once mm. at UQ Sport, but the leg curl machine wasn't actually drilled into the ground. Yeah, I remember that. So I went in there, thrust it up, nearly, I'm, I'm glad I'm still here to podcast today. I, mm. I could have easily died. <laughs> <laughs> or really seriously gotten injured so and i've never had more of an injury than i broke my toe once 
I would think it would be too light for you as well. Mm. Like it's not that heavy. Yeah, and that's why I think it nearly toppled over because mm. I put it on like the heaviest pin and thrust it up and then I probably wasn't used to having that much of the stack. That and much then, power. Yeah, <laughs> that much glute drive, baby. Um, but yeah, it nearly toppled over. But if you're like going to a world's gym or like a really well-equipped gym, I would encourage someone to have good exercise variety. But at the same time, there are these are mainly compound movement examples, but... There are some exercises that it's like, well, what are you going to replace a leg extension with? If you're training legs two to three times a week, yeah, you might put a leg extension into your program two to three times Mm. a week. Luckily for leg curls, you can do like a standing leg curl, like single leg, or you can do a seated leg curl or a lying leg curl. There's a few variations there, but leg extensions, it's kind of... Single and double. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. What's the next question? This next one, it says, what fitness myth slash fad is the most frustrating and odd to you yeah that's a good one and is it possible to narrow it down to one yeah it's tough i think one that comes to mind immediately is like the notion of good and bad foods but we talked about that Mm -hmm. quite recently um do you have anything that comes to mind only good and bad foods and nothing else comes to you like just something so radical but i'm i want to narrow down on something quite Mm. worthwhile first i think the one to me that would always be the most radical is the carnivore diet just Mm. going straight up only eating the flesh of animals and completely disregarding plants and just ignoring this huge body of literature for how phenomenal plants are for quality of life and for your health and Mm. then flipping the script and somehow being convinced that they're out to get you Mm -hmm. (laughs) that plants have some sort of thing in them that are out to kill you sort of thing so i think that the most radical diet to me will probably always be the carnivore diet and People make these, you know, claims that, oh, but you can get all of your essential nutrients from animals and animal flesh. I just question that. I, the one that really comes to me is vitamin C, because we know that we get vitamin C from all of our citrus fruits and a lot of our vegetables, too. But vitamin C, we know that it's involved in like collagen well, that's synthesis. Why people who don't supplement with vitamin C on a hardcore carnival diet is they get scurvy. Mm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, their gums rot or something. That's It's so nasty. But I'm thinking like, how would you get vitamin C as a carnivore? You'd actually, you wouldn't you just wouldn't. be eating the flesh of an animal, but you'd be having, because we know vitamin C is involved in like collagen synthesis, you know, in, in cartilage and building mm. joints and ligaments and tissues and stuff, skin. But like, would you be having to eat the joints and the ligaments of animals? And then would you have to be eating them raw? Because we know that vitamin C is heat sensitive. Mm. I'm just saying like, guys, you don't have to go down that path. You know, mm. like plants are, it's good stuff, you know, and include yeah. a few of them into your diet. What even <laughs> is the argument for no, not eating plants? Or is it, maybe it's not that they think plants is bad. They just think meat is all that you need potentially and maybe they just don't like vegetable no but they genuinely just think that plants have some sort of like anti-nutrients in them that are going to stop you from absorbing and being able to utilize your essential nutrients in the diet because as we know the essential nutrients that you get from plants (laughs) (laughs) and that you only get from meat Uh, but i guess it it's a it's a really really weak argument and there's Mm. a hell of a lot of holes in it it's like you know, someone basically shot a shotgun through that thing. Mm. But I kind of get it, you know, if you were to like cherry pick, because we know that certain nutrients within plants might inhibit something like 
iron absorption or Mm. the absorption of some essential nutrients that you might obtain from meat. But that doesn't mean that they're just like literally completely off the table. Mm. Literally. (laughs) Hey guys, just a reminder that we post regular content on our Instagram and YouTube channel. You can find those platforms by searching The Bodybuilding Dietitians. See you there. Yeah, well, if I had to pick, I wouldn't choose one. I would pick probably a few small ones that like are throwing in our face quite a lot Mm -hmm. and that we have to address very frequently, which doesn't really get tiring because I just genuinely enjoy enlightening people. Mm -hmm. But probably things like, okay, you have to rest less than a minute for training. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have to switch up your program all the time. Like even just clarifying energy balance and that a calorie deficit is how you lose weight. It's not necessarily, obviously what you eat is important, but how you how much you eat is more important for weight loss. Mm-hmm. Clarifying little points like that, like things about the metabolism, how it can adapt favorably. So your metabolic adaptation can increase when you're eating more food, but it can also decrease as you eat less food. Just explaining that. A big one is also like explaining that when you lose weight, you get hungrier. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people don't, don't know that when they undertake maybe their first weight loss journey. Mm-hmm. And just things like that, which are very frequent. And I've definitely gotten better at having to explain these things more frequently. I'm mm-hmm. much more efficient now and uh, and effective at explaining them. Yeah. And the best thing is, is that even if you do personally have such an in-depth knowledge about these topics... You don't have to go down to the biochemical level to explain them. I think there's some saying out there like, if you know something well, then you should be able to explain it to a five-year-old and they Mm. should be able to somewhat comprehend what you're trying to say. Yeah. And I think we were both guilty of that coming out of university. Like, (laughs) Oh, so I'm going to raise two hands and one foot over here because I was always, I'm still that person. You know, I do have a lot to say and I've got Mm. a lot in my brain, but especially when we first started this podcast, we were still undertaking our uni studies. Mm. And I was that girl or that student who would learn everything from every lecture and every single prac. I I would just, for the final exam, I would know it all. Mm. And even if they asked us a question that was worth one mark or two marks and the lecture would tell us, she's like, don't spend too much time on this question. Mm. Just answer the one or two main points. I'm like, I'm going to tell you everything that I know about this. (laughs) And I would write a paragraph and I know that's a mistake, but (laughs) that's actually a tip, an exam tip for people doing studies at the moment. Like something that I only started doing towards the end of my uni career, which was a mistake is a mistake that I didn't do it sooner was if something's worth like two marks, then Mm -hmm. usually it's half a mark per point. Yeah. So let's say, okay, what list some factors that contribute to weight loss and there's four different, it's worth two marks. So that means if you don't have to worry about sentences, like Mm -hmm. sentences just inhibit the marker's ability to mark because it confuses them. Literally just write four dot points and that's four half a marks, which equals two. So like, that's, that's unless you have to actually write the response in an essay yeah, style. I'm like, Veronique, you don't understand. I've been studying for this exam for three and a half months, okay? I'm gonna tell you what I know. That's mm-hmm. why I'm gonna get a seven in it. <laughs> Fill up this page. But I know that's definitely probably how I came across for sure. I, have, I haven't listened back to our first few episodes, no. but I know that I'm definitely one of those people who I, I am a perfectionist at heart and I do like things to be to a very high standard and I do like to share my knowledge. So I think when we got asked these sort of questions, I would answer them as if I was answering a question on a uni final exam. So I would 
go really deep into the science and go deep into a discussion and different points of arguments and stuff when it's just like, yo, what's your opinion on sugar alcohols? Mm. <laughs> uh, but anyway, Jack, let's answer one more question. So this one says, if you didn't have your TBD business, what would you be doing? Cool. So I think you answered this on your story a week or so ago and you said that you would create your own business again. Mm-hmm. And that's probably what I would do as well because I I don't think either of us would work well under anyone else. Mm-hmm. And we're the sort of people where if we're given a task, we do it quite rapidly and efficiently mm-hmm. and we get it done. And yeah, we don't, from experience, like we don't work well under other people. Mm-hmm. Um, we collaborate very well together too. I think they just can't keep up, man. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, I just have lots of ideas all the time. We both have lots of ideas. And if someone else is the limiting factor for uh, expanding upon those ideas and implementing them, then that's that's a struggle. Because like when we, for example, if we have an idea for a post, we just make it. Or if we have an idea for a caption, we make it. Mm-hmm. Um, like using the t-shirts as an example, like I just got on and did it and the samples are coming so yeah or like with this podcast straight after we record it i'd listen back Mm. whip it up edit it together and it's posted within like two hours like Mm. i don't like having things pressing but that's what i love about us is that we can depend on one another and Mm -hmm. in my life working alongside a lot of other people i have not found many other than you really and probably my dad Mm. who I can actually genuinely depend on to just get things done in a timely manner like if you say you're gonna do something you just do it and you do it to a high standard thanks you too but (laughs) (laughs) yeah the the other thing that I was gonna raise which uh, is I haven't even really talked to you about this but something that has always like fascinated me from a business standpoint Mm -hmm. but also like a nutritional standpoint is like meat, not meat-free meat, but lab-grown meat. Mm-hmm. And I think if I didn't have this as a business, like I would be very interested in like pursuing food science more and going down that route because I know, especially from like a monetization standpoint, in 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 or anyone listening to this in our lifespan, that is going to be the future of meat. Like I'm mm-hmm. very confident about that. And like I think that raising animals for slaughter, that's going to be purely like a Uh, I don't want to say recreational it's going to be more of like an exclusive thing where you pay top dollar for like quote unquote real meat Mm. but there was a movie about this that vampire movie we watched what was it Uh, called Daywalkers or something or with Ethan Hunt yeah Daybreakers Daybreakers yeah Mm. so that's kind of along those same lines Mm. that they were paying top dollar for human blood but then the poor people were drinking the blood of animals blood of pigs yeah blood of pigs something like that yeah, but I, I do think that's going to be the case, and I'm just very interested to see how, like, how that's branded, how it's marketed, how mm-hmm. how much it's going to cost, like, because mm-hmm. they'll have all the meats that are here today, but they're going to be able to genetically engineer everything, mm-hmm. and so it's exactly nutritional balance. It tastes exactly how they want it to mm-hmm. taste. It's going to be like the you could have like ninety nine point nine percent lean meat. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's going to be really interesting. Though. Sounds incredible. I think that there's two main barriers to it. One, making it affordable, mm. and that way, like in order to make it affordable, they just need to do it on a very large scale. But they also need to have a huge market mm. for it because if they're like they really need okay, to utilize social media for that. They do hit up TBD. You know, sponsor <laughs> us. We'll spread the word. Um, and we'll eat the stuff. (laughs) 
But I think that's the thing. Like if they're going to, you know, make all of these factories for lab grown meat, but then there's only a very small percentage of the population that would buy from it. Mm. Like they need people investing in it, but that, that really is our future. Yeah. I think the biggest question is like, why wouldn't you like, yeah. why would you still promote the slaughter of animals? Mm-hmm. And like, I know this is the pot calling the kettle black cause I still eat meat. I don't eat much meat. It's really only kangaroo at the moment, mm-hmm. but why, why would you not go for that lab grown meat over, over slaughtered animals? Like yeah. I don't get that. Yeah. But. I know. I'd love to hear that argument. Mm. Did you have any answers to this question? Oh, if I wasn't doing something, I still think I would definitely be working for myself. Mm. And something that has always really interested me is actually spreading the word to the youth for how important nutrition and resistance training is just for their development, for their health, for their mindset, their relationship with food, relationship with their bodies, and like planting that seed in their head from a young age, because it's really going to dictate the decades that follow for them. Because Mm. when I went to school, man, we had like that one or two seminars per year where like a group of people would come in and they'd, you know, do some sort of funny skit and tell us not to bully one another or all the guys and girls would get separated and they'd teach us about what a tampon and a condom is sort of thing. Like really basic sex ed stuff, which even then I didn't really take anything away from, but they never spoke about, exercise and nutrition Mm. and how important that is for development and just basic simple stuff like hey have some calcium sources not even nutrition for exam period and like because ultimately schools are money-making institutions they care about Mm. like their sole driver is profit not believe it or not they don't really care that much about the Mm. the pupils themselves actually i shouldn't say (laughs) that for every school but a lot of schools that's the case I, i only actually just realized after I graduated from high school, that schools are a business, especially Mm. here in Australia, private schools are very, very common Mm. where I grew up in Canada. There's a lot of just your standard public schools. Like I think there was like one private prestigious school in the area that we lived in. The waiting list was like five to 10 years long, you Mm. know, like before you even have a kid, you get that kid on the waiting list to go to that school sort of thing. But here in Australia, private schools are very common. But at the same time, they're also very expensive. And I only just realized that it's a, it's a business, you know, mm. like when they're putting up posters and billboards saying like open day for this college, like it's not, it, of course they want great students and a great community to attend that school. But at the same time, they're also like, yo, pay me $20,000 a year sort of thing per head. Mm. And you would think that teaching the students about nutrition to fuel themselves well for exams and to study hard, like that would be in their interest, but apparently Mm -hmm. not. Oh, the tuck shop was (laughs) disgracious. Yeah. Mm. But anyway, that's just what I kind of took away from school after I left school in that I never learned anything about health and nutrition. I didn't even study PE at Mm. school because I wanted to study legal studies and... Well, PU was categorized as a blood subject at my school. Mm, yeah. Same with um, like drama and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, and my school it just didn't match up with the lines. You know, I went to a, an expensive school, but you still... There were only set lines. And if I wanted to study legal studies and also marine biology... Mm, we could choose whatever we wanted. You lucky bug. But mm. yeah, I, wasn't, I chose those two over PE. And I don't even know if, what they taught in PE. But anyway, what I'm trying to get at is that I didn't get 
any formal education on how to eat or how to train or how to just treat my own body in my youth. And it ran me into a lot of health complications, you know, really poor body image issues, just not understanding energy balance, not understanding how to fuel for my performance. And that led me down a route of very disordered eating patterns. And in my final year of high school, I lost close to like 15 kilograms in the space of like maybe six or eight months. Like it was drastic weight loss. I was severely under fueling. I was only eating twice a day. I was intermittent fasting for like 20 hours of the day. Like that's wild. I was only eating between like an eight to a 12 PM window or 8 AM to 1 PM sort of window. But also I completely eliminated calcium sources from my diet because I wasn't drinking any milk. I wasn't eating any cheese. I wasn't eating any red meat. And then lo and behold, what happened other than just rapid weight loss, I started to get bruises all over my body because I wasn't having any calcium sources. The next year at uni, I actually had a dexter scan and it showed that I was on that lower percentile for bone mineral density. Mm. As it's still affecting you now. Well, I'm definitely up much higher now. I'm in the mid range, mm, but but you're not in the high range. Yeah, you, and I should be in the high range. I should because I do so much resistance training. And mm. these past few years, I've had a lot of calcium because I've had education on why I should be consuming calcium. And luckily, I've been able to reverse a lot of that. But I should still be higher. But anyway, I I would probably work for myself, but I would go around to schools and I would give presentations to young students on why they should really look after their health and Mm -hmm. why they should lift weights and why they should eat nutritious food and all these things, because it really is going to dictate those next couple of decades of their life. Mm. Like even the smallest things that we could have been taught, just like the five food groups, you know, and maybe like a few, a few weight training sessions and like reducing that stigma too for especially females in the gym as well, lifting weights. Mm, Certainly. Yeah, that's what I would probably be doing. But yeah, lab meet and, uh, you know, school seminars. (laughs) Cool. We'll finish with uh, something that we learned this week. What did Mm -hmm. you learn? Okay, I'm going to give Nina another shout out. She's just a brilliant woman. Guys, go follow Naturally Nina over on Instagram. I've been following her ever since like 2015. Long time. She... If I think of someone who just has the Instagram game down pat and like has been consistent as hell, it would be naturally Nina, Mm. you know? Her content's always beautiful. She's always putting out stuff and she's just always on top of her stories and everything, engaging with her community explains why she has such a great following mm, anyway it expire, inspires you yes it, it definitely does <laughs> inspire me i need to get on that level one day but what i'm trying to say is that i learned from her this really neat trick in that let's say that you are a vegan or let's say you just choose to not consume dairy products and you really like this certain type of plant-based milk because maybe you love the taste maybe you love the texture but I don't know why that company just decided to not fortify its plant-based milk with calcium. You can fortify your own foods with calcium. So you can buy calcium powder or you can buy calcium like tablets or like the little pills and you just Mm. break open a pill and just pour in the powder. But you can fortify your own plant milks, of course, with calcium. But anything you make, you can pretty much fortify it with calcium. You could put mm. a little bit of calcium into a smoothie. You could put it into a soup, whatever it may be. I think shouldn't be heat sensitive either. No. Yeah. I think the only thing is just make sure you're obviously not combining it with a Other dietary means. source. That's like really high in iron, really high in magnesium, really high in zinc. But yeah, man, like you can fortify your own food with calcium. So mm. get amongst it. That's what I learned. <laughs>
It's very neat. Yeah, mm-hmm. I learned that. I had a physio session today with Scott, who's been my physio since 2018 now. And like, I've just been having this anterior knee pain for a while, which initially we thought might have been like patella tendinopathy, something along those lines. But I think the pain, the anterior knee pain isn't due to the tendinopathy. It's just a result of something else. And it's mainly because I've gotten into this. It's, I wouldn't say habit because like it's caused by something and we're trying to work out specifically what that is. But essentially when I'm doing my leg pressing or hack squatting, I'm having a tendency to push with my toes and the balls of my feet. And that's just causing my, my knee to get a bit uncomfortable and angry. So I'm just doing some little cues to, to work on that, work on my ankle mobility, my calf strength and that sort of stuff to rectify it. So Mm. hopefully that goes well. And for a lot of those movements, you don't wear shoes. Right? You just no, wear I socks? Don't. Yeah, I just wear socks. Yeah, and what's Scott's opinion on that? Is he for it or? Well, I, d- I didn't question him. Like, he knows I train without shoes on, mm-hmm. and I don't see that. I wouldn't even factor that into the equation, to be honest. Fair enough. Yeah. Cool. Well, I would always advocate wearing like a, a flat soled shoe if you don't have one. Like, I don't, I, I just prefer to train in socks than, mm-hmm. than wear squat shoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I hope your knee gets better, my friend. Thank you. (laughs) All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for tuning into this episode. If you did enjoy it, please remember to take a screenshot, post it to your Instagram stories, tag Jack, tag myself, tag TBD. Check out some of our recent reels. We enjoyed making those and those are new and fun. And if you're feeling friendly, feel free to leave us a review and potentially leave us a rating and we'll catch you next week.